Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 139. And today's episode is there's not going to be much of a G update because it's been well below zero and snowing for, oh gosh, most of the last week. So the feet can't be out there for too, too long. And then when it gets a bit, quite a bit of snow, uh, the cold is always made much, much worse when they can get warm feet next to frigid snow and then melt the water right on their feet. And then that's just a great recipe for the beginning of frostbite and stuff. So we've been outside uh, frequently for a very short period of times. I can just say she's her obedience continues to get better and better indoors. And she retrieves down the, the whole kennel hallway really well. <laughs> so... And she's not ready enough for advancing uh, on, you know, I'm not getting her to hold a bumper or anything uh, because she has all baby teeth and it's just, she's just not ready for that. So we're just sort of, you know, working on keeping the obedience going and just enduring the frigid temperatures that we're having right now. So that's it for the G report. I look forward to bare ground, sun in the sky and not having to, you know, limit the time outside before dog feet or human noses start uh, freezing. Today's episode is going to be a continuation of the prior episode and that's discussions on retrieving and uh, marking and doing the retrieves and then if necessary kind of beginning to associate what does handling have to do with that. So I'm going to talk some more take, pick up where I left off on the other thing. For those of you who don't know me <laughs> My clients are going, yeah, yeah, this old stuff. Um, there's a lot of detail in what the information that I give and a lot of thought about small things on the activities. And I know that for many people, that's just, and for some pro trainers, you know, if you start talking about that, oh, it's just exasperating to them because they're not, <clears throat> you have to be kind of a detail sort of person to get down into a little bit more of the minutiae of, setting up marks and running marks and training the dog. The reason, you know, I feel very strongly about my approach and the way I look at it, uh, because, and I'll, I've said this to people over the years a lot, for those of you who compete, if you hunt, you know, eh, maybe my detail might be a touch excessive, but there's no downside to it. Um, because the best hunting dogs in the world are ones that are trained, you know, the way that I'm talking about it, it just really refines things up nicely. But if you compete and run events, I don't know how many thousands of times I've been uh, in, in especially hunt tests, a lot in hunt tests, certainly in APLA stuff. But somebody goes and they run the event, whether it's a, you know, the entry level stuff, mid-level stuff, or the master level stuff. And they go and they, you know, they're, they've, they've been working on their dog and they feel like they're ready. And then there's some set of marks that they've got or their blind placement where the blind is. Uh, and it may be a, a good setup and it may be a really not a good setup. I've run many setups that were highly counterproductive, but I'm pretty sure the judges, you know, just thought it was great. It was, it was as the limits of their knowledge about this stuff. It's what that gave them. And then somebody's dog fails because they winded this on the way to that or something happened. <clears throat> and then they're very mad at the judges. And then, you know, 
Sometimes they actually go and be mad right at the judges, and other times they just go home and then badmouth them and feel terrible or don't, I don't ever want to run this again, or this is bad. It's a real negative experience for them. To which my response has always been, the more prepared and the better trained your dog is, amazingly, the better those judges' tests will seem to be. And it really is that. If you need to pass, want to pass tests, then you need to pass well set up tests, appropriately set up tests, easy tests, crazy tests, kind of hard tests, tests that are counterproductive like I'm talking about. You want, we all want to, that's what I do all the time. We want to prepare our dogs so that regardless of what gets set up, we at least have the tools to maybe be able to handle it anyway. And so that's why I, myself, when I approach this on a day-to-day -day basis, for my clients when I work with them, and then through this podcast, if people can get into the detail of this stuff and understand honestly, you know, what tools they're developing and what they're teaching their dog, particularly you guys that compete, then when you go somewhere and somebody has this crazy kind of test set up that you've never done before, your dog, you know, your dog doesn't know that stuff. They're just going to walk up there and sit down and wait for birds to go down and wait to be sent. So the preparation can get you through a lot of crazy stuff and you don't have to always be angry because the judges weren't good enough for you. Because rarely are the judges going to be good enough for you. So what we want to do is approach this by having the dog be ready to handle stuff, even if it's kind of screwball and they haven't seen it before. And that's always comes back to establishing super strong fundamentals. I'll give one example and then I'll get on to the content here. But I was running a dog that uh, had been um, uh, running field trails. He'd been running, he'd been in qualifiers, and then he'd been running some opens. And his owner wanted to get his master hunter title on him. So the dog was very trained, right? He, but he is trained on, you know, really long stuff and that kind of deal. So I'm running him in the master and we're on this pond and it's a small pond and everything is very crowded and very, uh, I mean, it's a little, a little volume for this dog. I don't even think he recognized this was a setup. It just looked like we were going to, you know, go splash around in this little pond thing. And it was the master setup and it had a triple and a, and a water blind. And the first thing that they did with us, <laughs> it was we, you're in the holding blind and you're right close to the water's edge, right? Which is very tempting to break. And the dog is set in front of you, in front of the holding blind, and you're back in the holding blind, and the judges are back there with you. And the first thing they start doing, this is this dog's first master hunter ever, right? It's a, this dog, <laughs> he, he's in front, give him a sit, right? Sit really needs to mean sit, basics. He sits there, and then I'm in the holding blind, and then the, the judges start quacking. Now, he had never, ever heard uh, judges quacking. And I'll be very honest in my training, and all I do anymore is mostly is run hunt tests. <laughs> I don't have uh, lots of quacking at the line. I just don't. kind of interferes with some stuff. This was new. Judges are both. Both judges are quacking. So it's a lot of duck noise coming from behind me. And then from behind them out of a winger comes a dead duck flying over their heads, over my head, over the dog's head, and drops into the water in front of him maybe 30 feet. 30 feet. This is for a filter, like 30 feet. Right? That's, the, 
that's the uh, first bird. And then we had a, something else. Uh, maybe I can't remember what, what the order was. Probably wasn't the first one because they would have picked that one up anyway. That was So we have the birds going down and then this quacking thing. And he's turned around and he, when the quacking starts, he's looking over at us. And then he's, and then all of a sudden, boom, from a place he'd never, ever seen in his life, over his head, splashing right in front of him, boom, was a duck. And he sat there. And, so, and we got through the series. So do I train for stuff like that? No, because that, no. If I encountered it frequently, yes, I would. Um, but I generally don't have all kinds of things where I'm trying to teach them to look out front and then it comes from behind them. If you train, if if you run in events where they do that, then of course you do. But I'm just saying this dog had never seen this stuff before. And he watches this and then this duck and he looks at that duck and, and he turns around and he looks at me like, what the heck is happening here? And so again, call it because he remained seated the way he knew he was supposed to, right? Walk around, send him, go ahead, pick it up. So that's something where I was in no way prepared for coming from over your head, the quacking that was going on, the pro the unexpectedness of it and the proximity, just a splash right in front of you and no one standing next to you. You know, you're just sitting there out front all by yourself. None of that. He had never been run on a set of marks where the person wasn't standing right next to him. You know, he'd never had all that stuff and he did it fine. And so, you know, there was a good lesson in just have these dogs really well versed in the fundamentals. Sit means sit, you know, don't move, watch. Even when funny, weird stuff you haven't seen happens, continue to do what you've been trained to do. Okay? That's really what got us through that is he had no idea, but he knew that if somebody said sit, and that was it, you know, and then when guns go off and things go down, you don't move until you're sent. So when you undertake your training so that you can encounter things you're not expected or weird stuff or something that shouldn't be happening, you know, or another dog running through the field, whatever it is, that your dog understands what their job is. So that's my approach and that's why I get into so much of the detail. Enough talking about that. Let's get on to the retrieving stuff. So I left it where we're talking about developing very good single marked retrieves because you need to be able to mark one really well before you can mark two or three or four really well. So make sure you got that one really good. So to further a little bit more discussion on developing marking on singles, I had talked about, you know, how the view changes for the dog. You might be up on a little elevated thing and the dog sees the bird go down and then when they go down the hill a little bit, everything is different. They have to learn about things like that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention that I didn't get around to before is just so you know, and this definitely goes into you guys that are going to be running blind retrieves or already do. When you, when you send your dog out there, let's say, and I'm going to fast forward, you can handle, let's say you know how to handle and your dog is getting lost on one of the marks or you just, you know, your dog's getting lost. And so you blow the whistle, assuming you're able to handle and the dog turns around and they're, and they're not taking the cast and things aren't going around and you're getting really mad. You know, what's wrong with this dog? When you set up marks, those of you that can do the handling part of it, make sure you go out there and you turn around and look back from where the dog will be to where you will be handling and see how visible you are. 
Um, usually you learn that by messing that thing up one time. But because you can ser clearly see your dog out in the field and you can stop him and give him a left angle back or whatever it is, it does not mean that they have the same view because they don't. So if you've got the sun behind you, you know, so that the dog has this awesome view of the mark, the, the dog is staring into the sun. You might be very difficult. You might be wearing dark clothing and you're against dark trees. You might be, uh, one thing that we do a lot in my setups accidentally, is everybody has white trucks or real shiny trucks and stuff. And, you know, my truck is white. And <clears throat> so you have all these trucks that are shiny and then we, we, run, we run from right in front of them. So the dog turns around and sees somebody in a, a, a light color, white, black, uh, some color, and they're against all these shiny vehicles. Or there's people standing behind the handler, okay? <laughs> so that you can't really pick that person out very well, at least. Always, always. That's why I said be a blind planner. Remember? Work. Do the work out there. It will teach you more than all the talking I'm doing going to do in the world. Because when you go out there and turn around and hear somebody in a white jacket standing next to the white truck with 12 people standing behind them, probably not very easy to see. And then somebody else is moving because they want to go do something. So that gets more notice than visual notice than you standing still. So when you set up things, always, always, always just turn around and make sure what the dog's view is going to be, whether it's returning to you, whether it's kind of because they're going to be handled. So I just want to make sure I get that one in. So now we got these singles and we have all these things that we want to teach. Now, this generally implies, apply, uh, implies that you have some kind of help or else one of those, those launcher things that can launch multiple uh, bumpers or whatever you're throwing. If it's just you by yourself and a single winger, this can be a little bit difficult. But I've talked about all the different kinds of things that we want to teach them. You know, the picture's going to change. Sometimes we need to teach them to go, at, well, we always, in my opinion, all dogs need to be able to go short, medium, and go long. And so we have to, you know, if they've ever done nothing but hand thrown, how do we stretch them out? And if, if we're doing a, a set of marks with other people and they already have big marks set up and we have a younger or inexperienced dog, how do we handle those long marks? How do you teach that? So I'm going to talk about a number of things about what to do to, when you have to help, when you have to assist. So you, we want to be really mindful about the marks that we're setting up. We want to be trying to accomplish something with the marks that we set up. Don't just go, here's a field, there's one on the left, one on the right, that'll be good. You know, try to understand from the dog's perspective again, what's the lighting? What's the wind? Do we want to use the wind to help us? Do we want to not use the wind at all and the dog has to do it all, which then means the wind is coming from behind you? Do we want to really, really help somebody? We can do it <clears throat> right into the wind, excuse me, so that they can um, get the bird much, much easier. So think about all those things. But how are we going to do some of the teaching part on this? So let's just say, let's just say we have a dog that uh, is new to this. Now the way, you know, the gun introduction is important and I have, I have a whole gun introduction thing, but you want a dog to love retrieving first, really love it. And I mean like really love it. If they don't really love it, you can skip the birds. Just use a duck call or, or just a hup hup, you know, in case you're worried, in case it's a sensitive dog or a dog that's never been around gunfire before. 
it's usually not a real big deal, but don't just start with the gun and go, oh, that'll get them excited. Don't do that. You want to have, that's what the little puppy's like, gee, right? She's, now she's been around a lot of guns because her mom is a billion bird hunter. And so she's been there when that happened. She's heard guns, but generally a little dog like G would never have, would not have heard guns yet. So I would spend all my time making sure that she thought retrieving was manna from heaven, which she's that way. Then, then when she's, when she's, uh, really loves that, then we're going to have my thrower out there. Got to have a thrower. Got to have a thrower when you teach this stuff. Do not teach the first gunshot over top of their head. Uh, not that that hasn't worked with some dogs, but man, that's just, you're, you're taking a risk with that. I wouldn't take. So I want the gun away from us so that she learns about guns really well, right? And without any kind of fear thing. So if she really loves to retrieve. So I'm going to have my thrower go out, throw one with no gun, right? If she's passionate about it, she goes out, comes back. If she's running over to the gunner, okay, we got to get that fixed before we do the gun thing. So she just goes out and comes back. All right. So then with a uh, blank pistol, you know, I don't care, a starter pistol. Um, let's don't go with their 12 gauge necessarily, unless that's all you have. Really a pistol with blanks in it or just something that's a gun like small, small caliber, small stuff. Have them do their normal attention getting thing. Hup, up, Right. Then they're going to shoot. Now, they don't just throw the first time because sometimes if you get the ricochet, right, and they, they, there's a the shooting sound, and then behind you is a, the ricochet, so you get another shooting sound, the pup will turn her head towards the second sound. Then they don't see what gets thrown. So the gunner has to help pup get the dog's attention, shoot, Look at the dog and see if the dog's looking away. If it is, hop, hop again, get them looking back, and then throw. And so that works well. They had to hop, hop again because the dog heard a ricochet. Now we're going to just go repeat that until they quit looking around. Or don't throw right up next to buildings and hills and stuff where you do get a ricochet. When, when, they will, when they're okay and they look after it's been thrown, now we can go out there and get the dog's attention always, not you with your hand moving their head around, have the gunner hop up or whatever, get their attention, shoot, and then throw. Now, do not be in a hurry on a beginning dog to reproduce what hunting is like. Throw it and then shoot at the arc. Right now you are teaching on young dogs. We're teaching them, ah, whenever there's a gun, Good stuff happens and things go down. So let's make sure they hear the gun, look the correct place, then they see the throw. I wouldn't be in a hurry. And generally, that's what I do all the time. You know, in advance, they many times they shoot at the arc, so it's already in the air. But that gun will certainly make sure that the dog is looking the right way. So don't be in a hurry to duplicate hunting or get ahead on any of that. Teaching, break it down. Gun went off. Look, ah, Mark, watch that thing go down and then go right to it. So assuming we have that part now, what we're going to do is we're going to teach, we're going to be doing marks and we're going to be teaching the dog uh, how to get out there or how to do a long one or what happens when, and you have to do this on when you're teaching singles, you know, sometimes you want to have uh, a ditch, a stream, 
um, a, a stuff, a big thing, a cover, something between where you are and where the dog's going to be doing the mark. There's all kinds of things like that, that you need to teach them to go through and manage. Sometimes, you know, on our place, we have this, what's very often a big dry pond bed. And so when you're standing on one side of it and somebody throws out in the field on the other side, clear picture. And then the dog runs and then drops four feet down into this, not literal drop, all right, but goes down four feet into the pond. The pitcher's gone. All they see is they're in a pond bed now. And so they have to continue up and get back onto the other side. So for you, that would be an easy intellectual concept. For some dogs, as soon as they lose that picture, they just don't know what happened and they might just start hunting in the bottom of that pond bed or doing something. So that's a teaching thing, going through tough cover, going across a, a little ditch or a stream or whatever it is, <clears throat> is a teaching thing. Don't go out there and test and see stuff. Assume that you're going to have to make your dog understand this concept. Remember, they're very connected with the terrain and the environment. And we may not be. We're just like, birds over there, go get it. There's a lot of stuff that speaks to that dog on the way out there. And the more you are aware of that, the better. So there's a lot of teaching that goes on into that kind of thing. So one of the ways you do that, you got your gunner out there, most hopefully your helper, who knows what they're doing. So we're going to try, let's just first try and stretch our dog out a little bit. They've been going 50, 75 yards. You know, let's see if we can get 120 or something. So uh, uh, one, find out what your dog does. Find out first. You know, have somebody out there. Now you got two options here. Have somebody out there. You can move up. You can move, the, your gunner's in one spot out in this field. You move up, let's say halfway. Have them throw that that mark have your dog go get it all right now remember in the last one i said never repeat marks unless you're trying to teach something a, a concept so now he knows where that is we're not going to have any difficulty in this we're just working on distance right now so we're not going to have terrain angles stuff all this stuff that's going to just we're going to have just there it is right out there pretty easy to see throw it have him come back now let's back up to your line now we're all the way back, throw the same thing again. Now we're teaching the dog to be able to go that far because they already know it. Now we're going to take advantage of what you get when you repeat. They know where it is, but we're having them run a little bit longer ways. Now you shouldn't have to do that more than several times in a few weeks. You know, do not make it routine because then they're always going to run short and then run long. So... That's one of the way you teach them. Another thing that you can do is when you have your gunner out there and they shoot and throw whatever it is they're throwing and your dog is en route out there and if they're starting to falter or get a little bit lost, they shoot and throw another one. Oh, and then, and then they run out there and get it. Then they come bring it back, try it again. So that's another way to get that dog to go out there that far without people having to get very involved in it. Now, remember when there's something in front of them, again, it's called, it's called double birding. There's all kind of you know, dog, cool dog training 
technology or talk. I don't always know what it is, but that's double birding a dog. So that's what we do on the big dry pond bed. So when we're on one side of the deal and we're throwing from the other side, we're throwing something on the other side and they've got to go down through that up and out. We'll double bird them. So they're going through the pond and when, as soon as they come up the other side, cause they're going to be going, okay, I don't know where I am. There's another shot and throw for that mark and they get all the way out there and get it. Now we're going to try a repeat. So this is where you repeat marks when you're trying to get them to understand a concept. You just don't want to do it as a way of life because then they don't ever have to try too hard because you're always going to make it easy for them. So those are some of the things that you can do to help your dog do some of these, whether it's going through something, going over something, they lose the picture, they come back. So that's some, one of the ways to help them, a couple of the ways to help them with that. Let me talk real briefly about um, the gunner helping. Uh, a, good, a good thrower is, uh, is priceless. It really is. So, I mean, I, I, that's the only time I ever get upset. I don't get upset at dogs. I get upset sometimes when people mess up some stuff with the dog. And my upset is not yelling, screaming, or it's just like, I got to teach them how to do this stuff. Because your thrower is very, very important. No, I don't care what you run, whether I don't care, even the field trial stuff. And I argue with this with those guys a lot. Not a lot. I've argued that with them a few times. Um, and with the hunt test people and the American Pointing Lab people, it's the same thing. What you want is your dog to sit still, um, look out, and whichever direction you have them facing, that's the direction they're going to be going, unless you like a lot of moving around. I don't. Wherever I have you faced, that's ultimately whether you're doing a single or a triple. That's where you're going to be going the first time. Sit down, look out there, going, all right, I know something's going to be happening right here. And then they, they watch, they hear the gun, they watch this thing go down. They, know, they mark the area to the best of their ability and are training of them and they go out and get the bird and they come back and the gunner is not a factor it's not a factor now i know the field trial guys they do teach their dogs on that long 400 yard last bird that they're going to get you know if you don't know where you're going run to the gunning station and then hunt around that you know and there's people win field trials just because their dog will do that so i'm not talking about playing the game to win. I'm talking about training dogs to mark. So your gunner is important. He, their gunner, I'm going to say he, it's anybody. I'm a gunner and I'm a she. Uh, the gunner out there plays a real important role. One, they have to be watching you. They need to, on the young dogs, not on the more advanced one, they need to, if the dog is not looking out, they need to do a hop or a duck call or something to get the dog looking out. It's their job, not the handler's job. On the, on the fancy dogs, it's totally you. And the dogs should already know to look out. So here's where we begin teaching them to look out. Then when you signal them, you have the shot and then you have the throw. Now, you can't have your gunner standing there flinging the next bumper around walking around, talking on their phone, 
Okay, they have to basically not exist. Whether you have them behind something, behind a holding blind, behind some shrubbery, whatever it is, or just standing there, uh, they need to just basically just stand there and not interact at all. And if the dog comes over, you know, don't have don't have birds laying out on the ground. <laughs> don't have bumpers laying out on the ground. If the dog does run over there, make sure there's nothing there that the dog can go, oh, here's one, and then go running back. It wasn't a mark. You know, they just get, whoa, then they'll run to the gunner every time because that's way easier than hunting something up out there. So make sure there's nothing there and that they just start standing there and nothing is available and they don't have their bumpers hanging right there so a young and experienced dog will be jumping up at them and the dog needs to go hunt it. Now, if there's so many things that can happen, but the, the gunner's job is right to not interact at all. If the dog has given up the hunt and not is just standing over there with them, then they have to take an action. If the dog is hunting and now just hunting on and leaving the area and you and the gunner has to know, is he just hunting kind of deep right now? Maybe come back? Don't do anything. But if they're just taking off to something else or they see another gunner and they're going to run over there, it is the gunner's job to get them back to the area of the fall. And not by doing five things, by doing one thing at a time. And the first thing is usually to make the sound, the hup sound whatever sound they make to get the dog's attention back over here to the gunning station. Now that you need to have already taught this dog as a young dog to pay attention to the hop or the sound because that's what you did right before you started shooting guns was that hop thing to look that meant look something's going to go down. So you hop you still remain you stay in right where you are you say hop very often that's enough to get them back. Get them back to the area so that they once again take all the responsibility for hunting it up. If they're going to take off, they're just like, ooh, they saw another gunning station way out there and there they make it for it. You're going to have to do something else. You might have to shoot the gun. You know, you have to do something to get them back. Um, and if you can't, then the handler's going to have to come out there and get them back and get involved in that stuff. But you really want them trained enough on the little easy stuff so that once you get to to a little more stretching stuff out and doing harder stuff. You have the tools to manage the dog a little bit. That's real important. That's again, another reason that you do want to have some help sometime. So you hop and you get them back. If that's enough, perfect. If they've kind of lost, you know, they're lost and they just really, you can tell they're, they have checked out. They're not in this thing. Then, and this is real important. Hear this part. Those of you that are going to be doing this, what you want to do is have a whatever you're throwing, a bird or a bumper ready. You have that ready. And if they do respond to hup, if they don't, then you know you gotta shoot. The handler's gotta get involved. You gotta you you you're you probably shouldn't be doing this because your dog isn't controllable enough to be ready. But if they are, you're gonna hup right before you're gonna hup again, because they just just keep wanting to go somewhere else. They're just lost. Right before you hup. You toss whatever you've got up in the air, same as if right in the so it goes in the same place as where the original one did. And when it's up in the air, you say hup. So when they turn around and, and to the sound, they see a bumper go down. They didn't see you throw it again. They didn't sit there and watch you throw it. They just turned around and this thing went down. So then, then they'll go get it and come back. Now, if they were really lost and that was really over their head, 
you can repeat that if this is a beginning dog. If it wasn't, if the dog just kind of checked out on you and didn't do the job that it probably could, don't repeat that. There's just no point. The dog already told you, you know, hey, I'm not in the game right now. Or I make sure that in those of you that are running dogs, that's another important thing. I could sit here for two more hours with you guys. Anyway, so it's not the gunner. Gunners that walk out. And if there's just nothing else to do, you can't get it. Walk out to the thing, wave it around, get their attention, toss it, have them. I mean, that's a last ditch effort. But you don't want your gunner to become something the dog learns they can rely on to help out. Gunners really, because that certainly isn't the case hunting and it isn't the case in competition. So be careful of having the handler that's talking and making noise and walking around and pointing. You guys do not point at it. So then they're waiting for gunners to, you know, say, oh, it's right over here. You want them, the gunner needs to not be a factor unless absolutely, and then the minimum amount of a factor as possible. So the dog doesn't gain any reliance from that because they can learn that um, in a heartbeat. Along these same lines, those of you running the dog, you who I'm talking to, I think, the handler running the dog, when when you, my clients are going to get a big chuckle out of this one. When you're running your dog, you have to know if everything went okay with the throw. You know, did the gun go off? Did the throw go where it needed? You need to do that. So you got to have a second where you get to look up and see if that's okay. In my opinion, the rest of the time, particularly on these young dogs, but every dog always, do not take your eyes off your dog. Do not do that. I don't know how many thousands of times I have watched somebody with a nice dog walk up to the line, sit down, dog sits down, they're looking out at the thrower, they wave in their hand for them to throw. They never look down at their dog one time. I guess they're thinking, oh, Fang is going to do a great job. But what they didn't notice, that right as they were signaling, um, a dove just flew up somewhere right over to the left, and the dog made a quick look over there and saw that bird flying and looked back and never saw the mark. And the owner didn't know it. The, the person owner, the person running the dog didn't know it. And then they send him, and the dog runs over to the left where it saw the, the dove, and they're like, what, what's wrong with this stupid dog? So as the person running the dog on a mark, it is your job to make sure they are sitting still it is your job to make sure they are looking, and it is your job to make sure that they actually saw it. Because in the case of that, where that some kind of little confusion over to the side diverted the dog's attention for a minute, you don't. If you if that happened, then you ask your gunner to pick it up. Let's throw it again. He didn't see it. Or sometimes with dogs that are new to this, or only somewhat interested in it. They might just look away, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, and miss the mark. And then if you send them, then they don't know where they're going. And you run out there, and now the gunner's helping. You're not getting anything that you want to get in the teaching department here. So as a handler of the dog, you need to always know what your dog saw. And I'm very hopeful that you know what your dog is thinking. Are they focused on this or not? And if you need... If they're not really looking out or you got a real skinny person in camouflage that's very hard to see, you know, here we have a little signal that we give. 
that means make some noise. Just give me some hup hup to get the dog out looking again. And then you can signal. Okay? So that you make sure that gun always gets them, right? They're all they that really does get their attention. But if they're not looking when all that's happening, by the time they look over, they miss everything, and you send them, we are creating a disaster because you're telling them to go do stuff and they don't know what to do, and then you're mad because they're not doing the right thing, and this happens very often. So as a handler, watch your dog. Have nonverbal communication with your gunner so they know, do you need to make noise? Have uh, some communication with your gunner if you want them to help. Okay, so when somebody is throwing for you, you need to, my rule is don't help unless I ask you. Because I may have a dog that just, you know, is going to have a big hunt because that's just what they do. And I'm going to, I'm not going to help them and make it easier. And then I may have a young dog that really doesn't know what it's doing and I might want help much, much sooner. So, we, again, I have a signal that help my dog. But only help it the minimum amount possible to get it back in the area so that it haunts up the bird. Remember, it is the dog's responsibility, not ours. So don't do anything that teaches them that you're always there to help. And they don't have to try too hard because somebody's going to make it easy. Make sure your dog sees this stuff, okay? Get this communication with whoever you have out there. And if not, if you have the remote things... You know, you've got a the little quacker out there. You can get it quacking so they the, the dog looks out. But just these very simple mechanics of this is really important. And they need to be the same every time you train, all the time. And why? Because if I go back to my first example, because that dog had been trained so consistently... So when everything was different and funny, when we had duck calls coming from judges and things winging over our head, that dog had so consistently learned when you go up to the line and sit down, you're done. Somebody doesn't have to be next to you doing certain things, saying it just when you walk to the line and sit down, you're done, even if everything is weird and different. That's how you get through a lot of tests that might be over your head or your dog's head. If your fundamentals are very, very present there, you can do amazing things. But I make a living off of that stuff. But that all starts with on your day-to-day -day basis. If you make sure the little details, the dog walked up calmly to the line with me and sat down, faced the correct direction the first time, not after you wrangled them around for 30 seconds. They, the basic obedience is good. They walk at your side. They sit down. They look out. If something happens, you notice that they're not looking. You get the, the gunner to get their attention back out there. Then when it's there, you signal, etc., etc. So it's so routinely, is so smooth and so consistent that you teach your dog how to handle situations out of just doing it the same way all the time. So that's the end of just, there's many little details in all of this stuff. But this is important stuff, especially for you competitive guys. Um, this is very important so that you can go to a good test or a bad test, a hard test or easy test and have the best chance possible. And just for you hunting guys, then I really will be done. Just for you hunting guys. I don't know about that. I'd say it counts even almost more there because in a lot of hunting situations um, in the waterfowl side, they don't see stuff. 
you know, they have to listen. They can hear splashes if things are a little bit closer. If they know to pay attention and to listen, or when you get out of the, if you're in a blind where they can't see and you get out and you point them a certain direction, they know to go that way. They know when you got incoming ducks, you know, they know to look. They know to look out. They, don't tell me that looking out for birds is not important in a waterfowl dog. It's everything. They're the ones that tell you the birds are coming in. So as a young dog, teach him how to look out for the action. You'll never regret that. And in the upland field too, the looking thing, that's also another big deal. You ever had one of those birds come up? Oh, your dog's out there doing great stuff. And it comes up and does like a 360 around you guys. It kind of flies around and it goes a whole other direction other than just up and straight out. Isn't it great to have your dog watch that entire thing because they know they're supposed to watch the flight of that bird and the fall of that bird? So all of this stuff is good for people who don't compete and hunt. And when you have a dog that's trained at, to that level of detail, you will never regret it. That's an absolute guarantee. So it's 17 below zero outside here right now. That's why I'm not force fetching everybody right now. I am in here doing this. Going to let it warm up a little bit just so when I let them out when we're done for a little bit, they, they don't just freeze up out there. So wishing everybody the best in this bitter cold. It's supposed to end here shortly. And above all, folks, uh, consider the level of detail. It's I, I do that not because that's just how I am. <laughs> I do that because that's my surest path to success in difficult or trying situations or situations I wasn't totally as prepared as I would have liked to be, but my dog's basics carried me all the way through. So just something to think about. And perhaps on the next one, we'll have some G updates and I'll see if I can get some videos out. Right now, they would just be looking like we're pictures of the North Pole. So all the best, everybody. And uh, I will be back soon.